Thanks so much for joining the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us as we explore what is darkness to light. Easter is a time of renewal and rebirth where we reflect on the teachings of Jesus and the ultimate act of love that he showed us on the cross. Through his resurrection, we are given the gift of eternal life and the promise of forgiveness. We pray this message brings hope, redemption, and faith. Well, good morning, church. If I've not met you, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here. And in that item, in that song that was just played over us, it tells us about the nature of what Jesus actually went through when he went to the cross to die for our sins. It just repositions our heart to hear the gospel message today that that Jesus is willing to suffer and die for each and every one of us. And this is why today we gather on a Friday because 2,000 years ago, something extraordinary took place on a Friday that changed the course of human history. God himself, Jesus, humbly subjected himself to the hands of humanity and humanity nailed him to a cross. Humanity said, we don't want you. In fact, we want to wipe you from existence. It was the ultimate rejection of God, but it was also the ultimate display of God's love. And what I want to focus on today is this scene of the cross, Jesus crucified in the middle of two criminals, and what this scene teaches us about humanity, us as the individuals, but more importantly, what it teaches us about the character and the nature of God. The scripture we're going to be going to today is Luke 23, verses 38 to 43. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us then. But the other criminal rebuked him, Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. But before I get into the message, I would love to pray. Would you please join me? Father God, we come before you on such an important day. A day where we remember what Jesus did for each and every one of us, the sacrifice that he made, the pain and the suffering that he went through. So God, I pray that you would help me preach your word with truth, with grace and with love, that in the end, God, they wouldn't look to me, that only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Has anyone seen the movie 120 seven hours. It's actually a true story. It's a true story about a man named Aaron Walston. And in 2003, he was hiking in the Utah canyons in the national park there. And he would go out there hiking all the time. And he'd go in these little cracks of the earth. He'd hike down between the rocks. And one day he was exploring down one of these cracks in the earth. And as he was down in this little crevice, this boulder fell down into the crevice and pinned his arm against the wall of the canyon. And so he is stuck there for hours and hours. He's trying to move this boulder. He cannot move the boulder. It has pinned his arm. He's going to die. He comes to this realization that there is nobody around. He is out in the middle of the wilderness. He can yell as loud as he wants, but no one is coming. 
And he gets to a point when he's facing death to make a decision. There is only one decision that will save his life. And that decision was to cut his own arm off. So that's what he did. He pulled a pocket knife out and started severing his own arm. And eventually he gets through his arm, breaks his own bone, and he severs his arm and frees himself. And then he climbs out of the canyon. He hikes all the way back miles and miles and miles, and his life is saved. You see, he was facing death, and he had only one option to save his own life. You see, in this scene of the cross, we see a similar predicament. There are two criminals facing death, and there's only one option for life, and that option is right in the middle of them. But they both have to make a decision. You see, here in Luke 23, we see a picture of humanity and God. We see this picture of all of humanity, that on one side there will be people that reject Jesus, that reject God, that reject the cross of Christ. But then there are other people that will actually receive Christ, that will put their faith and trust in him. Here in this picture of the cross with the two criminals, we see the picture of humanity, those that will reject God, but those that will put their faith and trust in him. You see, the problem is today, in this day and age, we don't like to think about death. But it's a reality for everyone. We just distract ourselves with the busyness and the pleasures of life, and we rarely stop to think about that day, a day that we will all experience. But today is a day that we stop, and we're faced with the reality of death when we focus on the cross of Jesus Christ and the horrific death that he experienced for us. So it makes me ask the question, what is the answer to this reality of death? Well, this scene shows us that God is in the midst of this reality, but he's also the answer to this reality. We see in death that God is not a God who doesn't understand what that feels like. We don't worship a God that doesn't know what it feels like to, to suffer pain, to be hated, to be mocked, to be scorned, to be rejected, to feel lonely. We worship a God who knows what it's like to experience all these things, but not only that, a God who knows what it's like to die. You see, God is in the midst of our suffering and our pain, but he says through the cross that death does not have the last word. You know, we all must face death, and this scene shows us that in the end, we'll need to make a decision on the person of Jesus, whether we like it or not. Verse 39 says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us then. You see, this is the picture of one side of humanity, those that reject God, that hurl insults at him. He's like, if you're the Messiah, prove it. Come on, I don't believe you're the Messiah. Whatever. He's like, prove it to me. You know, some people want proof of God. Here's the thing, Jesus had proved it over and over again in his ministry that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. He came and healed the blind. People who were blind could now see. He raised people from their beds that couldn't walk, that they would walk again. He healed the deaf that they would hear. He raised people from the dead. He had proved time and time again that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. But here's the truth. For some people, there's never enough proof because they don't want God. They don't want God to be true. You know, when I was in chaplaincy, there was a man who used to come in because his wife was in palliative care. He was, 
she was in the aged care facility where I was a chaplain. And he would come in, he was an atheist. And we would have discussions about God. We'd have all these conversations about, is God real and what did God do? And, and so there were great discussions that I had with him. And one day he walked in and he had a really bad back. And I said, oh, can I pray for your back? He said, oh, mate, if, if God heals my back, I'll believe that he's real. I'm like, cool, come over here. Let me pray for you. So I did. I just prayed for his back. Just a simple prayer, God, would you heal his back? And he got up and I said, how's your back? And he goes, oh, I can't feel it. I said, well, what do you think about Jesus then? He goes, oh, we'll wait and see, mate. Give it a couple of days. We'll see how it goes. I'm like, okay. So he goes away. A couple of days later, he's back visiting his wife. And I said to him, how's the back? And he goes, it's good. And I'm like, cool. So what do you think about God? Do you believe in God now? He's like, ah, no, no, no. It could be anything. I don't believe that stuff. You see, it's not proof people want. It's actually to be their own God. Why? Because they love their sin. They don't want to come under a Lord. They don't want to come under a God who says they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. You see, some people want to be their own God. Jesus talks about this in John 3, 19. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. You see, Jesus is saying here, here's the condemnation. You know what it is? It's the fact that people love their sin. They love their sin so much they are willing to reject the notion of God because they just want to engage in their sin. They will not come to the light. They will not come to Jesus lest their deeds be exposed. You see, this criminal did not realize that Jesus was proving he was the Messiah, the one prophesied to come, the one to save the world by giving up his life. We see through all the Old Testament that there was a suffering Messiah to come, the one that would actually lay their life down, and that would be proof that they were the Messiah. You see, the cross was proof of God's love. But what was he saving us from? Was he saving us from earthly things, from earthly enemies, from suffering or pain? No. He was saving us from our greatest enemy, sin. You see, just like that boulder had pinned Aaron in the canyon, and that was his death sentence, sin is our death sentence. Sin has pinned us to judgment. And just as Aaron had to free himself from the boulder, we need to be freed from our sin. Justice and judgment for our sin is coming to us all. But Jesus came to take that judgment, to pay the debt of sin on the cross. But this first criminal... He rejected that payment. He rejected Jesus. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Don't you fear God? This is such a great question. It's a great question to start with. Do you not believe in God? Do you not fear God? Do you just go about your life and do whatever you wish and think there is no judgment? He asked the other criminal, don't you fear God? He says, we're under the same sentence. We're under the death sentence. He's telling truth here, that we are all under the death sentence because of our sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. There is no one on the face of this earth that is sinless. 
Each and every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can stand before a holy and righteous in God and say, we're good. None of us. And this criminal, he understood that. He says, we're punished justly. He says, for our wages, for our sin, we are dying. We're getting what we deserve. Do you know it takes a level of humility to admit that we get what we deserve, that we admit that our sin is killing us? That if we stand before a holy and righteous God, that we are not righteous? It takes a level of humility. And this criminal, he has that. He goes, we're getting what, our, what we deserve, what our deeds deserve. You see, it's not until we come to the realization that we don't deserve to be in the presence of a holy and righteous God because of our sin that true repentance can happen. It's not until we come to the realization that we don't deserve the love and grace of God that with all humility we can then reach out to Jesus. It's only through the realization of our sin that we can stand in awe and thankfulness at the foot of the cross. And that's what grace is. It's love undeserved, but that's who God is. God is love. It's this realization of our sin and our utter hopelessness to deal with it apart from God that makes us, makes us to reach out in repentance to God. Verse 41, we are punished justly for we're getting what our, deserve, our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. This criminal says, hey, we're getting what we deserve, but this man, this man is sinless. This man is different. Pointing at Jesus, he says this, like John the Baptist, this is the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways but was sinless. That's why he was able to go to the cross and absorb your sin and my sin and put it to death because he's the only one that's walked this world sinless and this man knew that. He has done nothing wrong. John Stott says the cross of Christ is a symbol of both judgment and mercy. The two criminals on either side represent the justice and the mercy of God and the power of the cross to reconcile us to him. Here's the truth about this scene, a truth that the world wants to reject. One will suffer judgment for their sin, but one will be forgiven of their sin because his sin was paid for by Jesus' sacrifice. You see, both criminals are facing death and they make different decisions that have eternal consequences. Like we all make decisions, right? We go about our day and we make good and bad decisions. Sometimes we make good financial decisions and sometimes we make bad financial decisions. Sometimes we make good relational decisions and sometimes we make bad relationship decisions. Like me, when I'm thinking about what can I have for lunch and I think, I'm going to have KFC. And as I'm eating it, in that moment, I'm thinking, this is the greatest decision I've ever made. This tastes amazing. And then about half an hour later, I feel so crook in the guts, and I'm thinking, no, that was a bad decision. I should have eaten something that was healthy. You see, we all make good and bad decisions, but these are all only temporary. There is one decision we must make that lasts for eternity. Romans 2.4 says, do you despise the richness of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The goodness of God. You see, in this moment of facing death, one chose to mock Jesus, to reject him, to despise the riches of his goodness, and the other, in the moment of his darkest hour, chose to turn to the light. Here's the truth of this scene, though. Jesus allowed them both to freely choose. 
You notice he doesn't go to the first criminal and go, oh, but let me tell you, just like, you've made your choice. But one, one chose faith in Jesus. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom in verse 42. And Jesus answered him and said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, I look at this scripture and it's the one, one of the most extraordinary examples of faith that you will find in the Bible. It's one of my most favorite verses because I look at this scene and I think about this criminal and he's looking on the beaten and battered and bruised and nailed body of Christ on the cross. Moments from death. And he looks at that and he thinks, I know who you are. He says, you are who you say you are. You are the son of God. This is not the end of the story. You are still going to come into your kingdom. I'm like, what? If I was hanging there looking at Jesus, the last thing I'd be thinking was, oh, he's still got this, right? But this guy calls him by name. He says, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you are the one to walk into your kingdom still. It's still coming. And hey, remember me. Where were the disciples? The disciples didn't have that much faith. There was only one disciple there and he was standing afar off and that was the Apostle John. The rest had scattered. And we see later on in the resurrection when Jesus resurrected and they get told, they're like, that's weird. We don't, that sounds like nonsense to us. They were gone, but not this criminal. He's there, he's looking on the body of Christ and he's saying, I believe you are who you say you are. You see, faith is not a feeling. It's a decision to trust in God, to trust his character and his nature and his promises. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. You see, faith is confidence. It's confidence in God, not our circumstances, not what we're going through. Just like that criminal's hanging there, he's like, I see this circumstance, but my faith is trust in you, is confidence in you. Faith is hope. It's hope in what? It's in God. It's in God's promises. It's not in our own situation. Faith is assurance. Here's the thing. Do you want assurance for your eternity today? It's confidence, hope, and assurance in what we don't currently see. And I'm thinking about this criminal. He's looking. Do you know what he's seeing? He's seeing something that doesn't tell him that this is true. But he's chosen to trust the goodness and the mercy and the power of God. You see, faith is not, in God is not a leap in the dark. It's a leap into the light. Faith is trusting the only trustworthy one, and that is God himself. R.C. Sproul says, Faith is the willingness to trust in God even when we cannot see the way ahead. How did this criminal look upon the messed up, beaten body of Christ and think, this is not the end. Jesus has still got this. It's only by faith in the power of God. It's the same with us today. How do we look upon the world, this messed up world of all this suffering and pain? How do we look upon it? It's only by faith in God. It's confidence, hope, and assurance in the person of Jesus. Why? Because we believe this is not the end of the story. That Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father and will return to restore all all things. See, here is the beauty of the cross. That no matter how dark it gets, God is at work. And this criminal, he somehow knew this. You know, he did nothing to save himself. 
He didn't become a great Christian. He didn't fix up his life. He simply reached out to the only one that could save him in his darkest hour. He reached out to love, displayed in a broken, battered body nailed to the cross. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus' response solidified his faith. When Jesus declared this horrible moment is not the end of the story. Jesus answered him and said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. He says, you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. I tell you, God himself, the Son of God, I tell you, you want to know and have confidence and assurance? Hear these words. I tell you, you have salvation. You have eternal life. You have an eternal home with me in paradise because of your faith. This is amazing. John Stutt says here is a criminal who had, had done nothing to earn salvation, but simply trusted in the grace and mercy of Jesus. This is the essence of the gospel. He didn't get his life right. If you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm a sinner, yep, so am I. And that's why we come to the cross and we put our faith and trust in Christ and he pays that debt for us when we repent of our sins. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is no more evident than here in this picture of the cross that Jesus came in the body. That he came to die for you and me. He came to die for the sinners next to him. And here's the gospel that whoever repents and puts their faith and trust in him receives forgiveness. The debt is paid. We receive eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God. That's the gospel. We can't work for it. We have to receive it as a gift. And this is a day of focus on the crucifixion of Jesus when we see the graphic image of the effect of sin, the effect of our sin. You see, we blame the Jews and the Romans for crucifying Jesus, and rightly so, for they did. But here's the truth. It was my sin and your sin that put Jesus on the cross. We need to feel that today. Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross if none of us sinned. But Jesus, out of love, endured the cross because of our sin. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy set before him? It wasn't the cross. It wasn't the fact that he knew he was going to be scourged, beaten, battered, have nails driven through his hands. That was not the joy set before him. The joy that was set before him was you, was me. He knew if he went to the cross, he would redeem you back to the Father, that he would spend eternity with you and me. You were the joy that was set before him. In the cross, we see the horror of humanity, the effect of sin, but we also see the lengths God was willing to go to to prove his love for you. I ask you, what more could have God done to prove his love for you? What greater lengths should he have gone to to prove that he loves you? You see, in John 15, 12, 13, Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for one's friend. Jesus says that the cross, his willingness to lay down his life, was an act of love, an act of ultimate love. There is no greater act of love than to sacrifice your life for others. Jesus was willing to do that on public display for all humanity to see how much he loved them and how much he loves you.
C.S. Lewis says, The cross is where we see the true nature of God's love. Sacrificial, selfless, and unconditional. You see, in the cross, we see the brightness of God's love breaking forth through the darkness of sin and death. The cross is the breaking forth of light. It's the breaking forth of truth and the only truth that will set you free. And the truth is Jesus sacrificed his life out of pure love. You might say to me, well, Scott, Jesus knew he would rise from the dead, so it's not that big deal. Well, why? Why did he have so much faith? Because Jesus trusted the Father to raise him from the dead. Jesus had full assurance and faith in God the Father, in his character, and his nature. Jesus knew the love of God and had 100% trust that this was not the end. He knew that the Holy Spirit, that power of God, would raise him from the dead. Do you want that level of assurance and security? You can have it. You see, as Christians, we have this level of assurance that death has no power over us. That death is not the end for us. We as Christians have received eternal life. Do you trust the character and nature of the Father? You will be raised again one day. So how do we today be saved from the judgment of sin? How do we receive eternal life and have the assurance that we will resurrect and live in the presence of God in paradise forever? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to repent. It's repentance, a recognition of our sin. This criminal recognized that he was a sinner. He says, we are getting what we deserve, our deeds deserve, which is death. We need to know that if we stand before a holy and righteous God, we are guilty of sin. We've all stolen, we've all lied, we've all used the Lord's name in vain. None of us can stand before God sinless. We need to come to that recognition that we need to repent. My question is, are you convicted of your sin? Good. Repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus that he died for your sins and dealt with your sins on the cross. John Calvin says, The two criminals on the cross are a powerful reminder that salvation is available to everyone regardless of their past sins or present circumstances. It's no matter what you've done in the past or what you did yesterday or what you did this morning before you came to church. If you have a recognition of your sin, today is the day where you can repent. Repent of your sin and turn to Christ. Second, we need to have a recognition of the Savior. That criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is a declaration of faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, the only one that can save. It's through Christ and Christ alone that we receive forgiveness, salvation, and the assurance of the promise of eternal life, and that's available for you today. And this is why it's called Good Friday. Crucifixion is not a good thing to look at, but what it accomplished was so good for a fallen, sinful humanity. You see, God turned what darkness determined for destruction into the single most powerful display of love, the salvation of the world. That is good news. So what do we learn from this scene of Jesus crucified between two criminals? We see a picture of humanity. There will be those that reject the grace and love of God. They reject Jesus. But we see those that humbly repent and put their faith and trust in him. We see that there is a decision we have to make. That each and every one of us at some stage in our life must make their decision on the person of Jesus. And we must put our faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus to receive forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel truth. 
that the cross of Jesus Christ is a love of humanity, love for humanity on display. R.C. Sproul says, The cross is not only the way of our salvation, it is the way of God's self-revelation. In it we see the depths of his love and the extent of his grace. Not only a cross in the cross do we see salvation, the only way to salvation is a revelation of who God is. It shows us the wonder and the beauty and the majesty and the wonderful nature of who God is. We see the extent of his love and grace and how far he's willing to go to redeem you back to himself. Church is the goodness of God displayed on the cross that leads us to repentance. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we come before you today just so thankful in our heart, God, for what you did. That day that we cannot imagine how gruesome and brutal that must have been for you. That you were willing to go to that length to suffer so badly because of my sin, because of our sin. God, there are no human words that I could speak to share my gratitude, my thankfulness in my heart to you, God, for what you have done. That you have taken me from death to life, from darkness to light. That you have given me the gift of salvation simply because of your great love. God, today we come and we worship you because you are worthy of worship, praise and honor and glory in this house. And you might be listening to this message. You might be sitting here today and, and you've never received that grace. You've never received the love of God. You've never put your faith and trust in him. And today is the day that you can repent. So as we're in this moment of prayer, I'd just love to ask if, if you want to receive that forgiveness, if you recognize that you're a sinner and you want, to put, you want to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'd just ask if you just raise your hand now. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for those here, for those listening, Lord, that would repent of their sins, that are repenting of their sins right now. Lord, that are putting their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, that you did die for them, that you rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. I pray that they would become true disciples of Jesus Christ and follow you in obedience all the days of their life, that they would be light in the darkness. Lord, I thank you for them. I ask that you bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. 